and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I am joined by a very special guest. So, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Thank you so much for having me on, Akshay. I am Moxie Labouche from the Your Brain on Facts podcast. It's a half-hour show of things you didn't know, things you thought you knew, and things you never knew you never knew. Yes, and I will be on it soon enough. Yes, as indeed. As I get my bit recorded. <laughs> And just heads up before we start, I am a little bit ill, so hopefully I'll get most of it in editing, but if not, um, while I'm ill, it's what you get. <laughs> yeah, it just makes the whole process more organic. You're really opening yourself up to your audience, really letting them get to know you and the whole podcast-making process. Exactly. Um, and you, yes. have to, you have to turn your bugs into features. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a feature. Yep. Yeah, should we say what we're going to talk about today? Do you want to go first? Yeah. I, I can't wait because we're, we're talking today about uh, a particular criminal family that has always fascinated me, the Sawney Bean Clan. Oh, and yes. hopefully that caused a little thrill of excitement in some of your listeners and uh, open curiosity in, in the rest. And meanwhile, I'm going to be talking about a guy from France in the late 1700s. It was called Terrara. Terrare? You're talking about Terrare? Yes. Ah. Uh-huh. It's, it's one I've been seeing on for a while. Oh, my God. And these mesh thematically. I know. I was just like, yeah, this sounds like a good time to do it. Yes. So, guy that was very well known for his interesting appetite. And I think we'll, I will talk about it in my section. So. I am legitimately so excited that you're doing that topic. <laughs> I'm not putting it on for the show or anything. Terrare is is one of my favorite topics, one of those obscure things that it seems like nobody knows about. And mm-hmm. I just, I love blowing people's minds with his story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so you're, you're going to be perfect for this one. So, yeah, Moxie. I mean, I'm going to give my guests a choice. Do you want to go first or should I? Oh, I'm excited to talk about both of these. So, um, dealer's choice, which whichever one you want me to do. Mm. All right, all right. I think I'll go first then because I'm ill and I want my voice to hold up. <laughs> there we go. You use it while you've got it. Well, it's been all right for the last um, hour or so, so hopefully it'll hold up. Well, you'll probably be covered with uh, what we call stage health. Uh, I say we because I'm also a burlesque dancer and producer, and um, I work with a lot of uh, dancers and theater performers and stand-up comics, and you can be just at death's door but when they call your name and it's time to go on, somehow you have just enough energy to get through that performance. You about drop dead immediately when it's over, but stage health will really get you through. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, in that case, we'll cut the music and then come back with Tara, or Tarare, or Tararare. Well, he's not around to hear you, so <laughs> you can pretty much say it however you want. We'll see you in a second. <laughs> And we are back. So let's talk about Terrare. Or Tor- I'm going to call him Terrare because that's what, I, that's what Google said, even though like half the videos said, said Terrare. Yeah, I'm basing my pronunciation on um, the Salmonella YouTube channel. Um, yeah. But like I said, the man himself isn't around to argue anymore, so we can pretty much call him whatever we want. Call him Tom. That's a good, good French name, Tom. Oh, also, I am currently drinking a grapefruit pale ale is super super good uh, by Magic Rock Brewing I don't know them. I'm just rocking a water myself because it's one in the afternoon where I am okay so Tara he was um, a Frenchman known for his appetite as it was generally seen as insatiable but first of all let's get into a bit of background I think he was born in France near Lyon somewhere around 1772 though the date of birth is, isn't really recorded and like I said earlier, we don't even know Tara's real name because um, Tara was a part of a phrase that was used in the time, which was to do talking about explosions. Can't remember which one I read that from, but I've been through a few a few articles and apparently that's the, that's the case. I don't know French language, so no, like like maybe the phrase was supposed to 
allude to he's going to eat so much he's going to explode like the in, yeah. in, in Monty Python's Meaning of Life yeah because I believe the phrase was bomb bomb torah or something like that <laughs> sounds like a song sounds like an old it does the Victorian era <laughs> or like early phonograph gramophone song it could have been there's not too much about when he was actually a kid but um, even at the time he was known for having a huge appetite and by the time he was a teen he could eat about a quarter of a cow to himself in a day um, yeah, which is uh, not easy for a French peasant family to support. No, and it was also there was about his own body weight, <laughs> which is I don't. I'm not. So, I'm not someone for big appetite. I can. I don't eat very much. So it's like <laughs> this. Like, what's the word? Give me um, something. I I, can't, I have no idea what what word you're going to next. Extravagant, I guess. <laughs> what's extraordinary? Right. Yeah, it's just a very, very big amount. I can't imagine. Yeah. It. And and uh, at the mention of his weight, every account that that I've seen of him, it describes him as being like rail thin, just one of those those beanpole guys that you know that never seems to put on any weight but can put away three pizzas by themselves, yep. like that, but to an exaggerated um, extent. Were you going to mention his stomach skin? Yes. Yes. Um, like. At 17, he was only like 100 pounds or uh, seven, just over seven stone. And like you said, um, he was pretty skinny almost, like, and average height, despite, all, despite how much he'd eat. And essentially when he hadn't eaten, uh, his, his skin would just hang really loosely, apparently to the point where he could uh, wrap it around his waist like a belt almost. Yeah, it would look like one of those those people from um, the the weight loss uh, game shows and stuff, where where they've lost like three hundred pounds and now they just have the skin that just hangs down a foot over their waistband. But it would yeah. be that's like him on most days. Yeah, but however, when he was actually when he was properly full, his uh, stomach would or abdomen area would essentially inflate like a balloon, and apparently when it would, uh, his eyes would also be bloodshot and uh, a a body, an odor which he was known for being really smelly as it was. Uh, apparently, you could smell him pretty heavily from about twenty meters away. Well, you got to you got to think of the meat sweats times one quarter of a cow. Yeah, yeah, essentially, and that's yeah. going to be significant. And and now the people who are reporting to us that he smelled bad are again. I want to stretch French peasants. Yep. So if they say that he smelled bad, you can take that to the bank. <laughs> So yeah, so, and on top of that, apparently the skin of his cheeks was uh, also really loose and wrinkled up. But when he like filled his mouth, he he could hold about twelve eggs or apples in his mouth at the same time. So yeah, Terare would have had to have had a very large mouth, not only the skin of his cheeks, but to put away the volume of food that he did in any reasonable sense of time. Not that reasonable is going to factor a great deal in his life. He would also have had to have had exceptional jaw muscles you're talking about eating upwards of a quarter of a cow yeah apparently uh, like when, later on when he was actually dissected it was about four inches wide when it was opened and leaned back yeah that's considerably larger than I can open my mouth and uh, as someone who hasn't stopped speaking since she was nine months old that's saying something it's uh, quite a feature <laughs> there you go not a bug a feature yeah but yeah, like I said, when he'd eaten, the, the vapor would essentially become visible. Um, oh, actual stink lines. Yeah. And he'd become really lethargic. And during that time, he'd uh, apparently belch a lot. Uh, yeah, and I his, think so. Yeah. And it was quite common for him to have chronic diarrhea quite often. Yes. In, and, in, and in the pre-toilet tissue era, in the pre-indoor plumbing era... You know, yeah. his, his evacuations would have been the stuff of nightmares. Yep. Apparently, the, the quote that I've seen is, fetid beyond all conception. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, definitely a choice of words. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to that next time I've got an applicable situation. Mm -hmm. But apparently, despite he despite him eating so much, uh, he never really uh, vomited that much or gained weight. You know, I wonder if something in his anatomy could have prevented him from vomiting because any number of animals, um, rabbits, horses, for example, can't vomit. I wonder if, if it was a one-way street with him. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a really weird one. Like there, are, there were some theories to why it was the case. The main ones I've seen were hyperthyroidism. Yeah, a thyroid storm could definitely cause it. It cranks your metabolism. It overclocks your metabolism, yeah. and you're you're metabolizing so fast you can't put enough food in yourself to keep up with it. Though that wouldn't account for the the unusual anatomy and the way his body accommodated the amount of food he was taking in. I guess, I don't know, maybe if he was just doing it so consistently over so many yeah, years, yeah. maybe his his abdomen would have adapted to being able to take in the huge quantity of food that his overclocked metabolic system needed. Yeah, yeah, because um, subject hypothyroidism, um, it can cause stuff like extreme appetite, rapid weight loss, um, heavy sweating and heat intolerance. Yeah. But there was another guy that also uh, said that he might have had a damaged amygdala. Amygdala? Yes. Uh-huh. As apparently, uh, my injuries to the amygdala in animals can uh, cause polyphagia, or, which is actually the insatiable hunger. Hmm. See, everything I know about the amygdala comes from one line of dialogue from Firefly. So <laughs> that would, the more you know. Yep. Uh, good show, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, so it, this, like, a lot of things for some reason it was a combination of the two of those. Yeah, it could have been uh, more than one condition at once, or it could be something that is just so rare we haven't uh, been able to document it since. So from what I've seen, it's generally uh, seen as a combination of the hyperthyroidism and the damage at the same time, uh, kind of driving driving the hunger into overdrive. Yeah, that scans. We'll go with that. I don't know medicine that well, so call me out on it if you want. Okay. <laughs> Yes, if there are any MDs or, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take registered nurses or nurse practitioners in the audience, uh, please hop on the social media and let us know. My, when I was home as a kid, uh, well, late teens, um, there was a point where his parents couldn't really provide for him. And there's a split between whether he was forced to leave home or whether he ran away. Generally, things seem to lean towards forced to leave. He also might have just known that they, you know, he would know that his parents couldn't afford to feed him. Yeah. Uh, like it's hard to say where, uh, which, what, like whether it was actually just him running away because of it or... Um, yeah, or it could have been like when you quit while your boss is in the middle of firing you. Yeah, yeah. And then you can argue about who broke up with who later. <laughs> and essentially after that, he um, spent some years touring the country with a roaming band of thieves and prostitutes, apparently. And yeah, essentially uh, going around uh, begging and stealing for food. Until after a while, he, he took up a job of working as a traveling ch- charlatan or performer, and he'd draw his crowd by eating pretty much anything people bought to him. I think one of the main ones that I've seen is uh, eating an entire bag or basket full of apples, along with a bunch of corks, stones, and stuff like that, like all in one sitting. Yeah, not part of a balanced breakfast, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. The cork wouldn't be too bad because it is uh, the inner bark of a tree, at least it's plant material, and I guess the stones would make him feel full for a little while, but... Really, it's not paleo. I wouldn't recommend this for anybody. <laughs> no, not really. But I know there were some dinosaurs that ate stones to help them digest, mm-hmm. but I don't think it works that way in people. <laughs> no, uh, chickens, though. Chickens and a lot of birds do that. Humans, not so much. Yeah. Yeah, he did get, he did get very badly sick from, from one of his... Uh, uh, when you're a street performer, you're also called a busker. So one of his, one of his days busking did lead to him being uh, badly sick and hospitalized, if I remember the story correctly. But yeah, you're right. It was actually after, after he moved to Paris, working as a street performer there, he was pretty successful. But what, once the act essentially went wrong and he got severely, well, he, he ended up with severe intestinal obstructions, which led to a member of the, members of the crowd lead, like carrying him to the Hotel du Hospital, which must mean it was pretty popular at least. Yeah, decently popular enough that they you know, didn't want him to die right in front of them. Yeah. that is a tough act to follow. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and he was treated with powerful laxatives and made a full recovery. So that would have been like probably mercury given the time period. I'm not quite sure what, what it was actually. Um, I'm, just, I'm just thinking that if, if you need to evacuate someone in that period in history, um, that was, it was back in the time where we discovered an element. Let, great. Let's eat it just in case it's medicine. <laughs> you yeah, know? pretty much. And, and then 30 years later, we found out, oh, crap, that wasn't medicine. Oh, well. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm thinking it might have been, yeah. uh, been mercury. <laughs> Moving on, anyway, to the uh, few years onwards, uh, when the War of the First Coalition broke out in France. 
uh, to Arab join the French Revolutionary Army. But military rations, not so great for him. And he was still always hungry. So what he'd do he'd, uh, is um, he'd help out other, t- other soldiers and stuff with whatever work they had. And they'd give him like scraps of their rations and stuff like that to help him feed a bit. But it still wasn't enough. So he'd also scavenge from the dung heap. Uh, <laughs> and wherever he could find any kind of intake, essentially. But despite this, he was still admitted to the military hospital at Salt's Rim uh, with a case of extreme exhaustion, as he just wasn't getting enough to eat. Yeah, because if he, if he had those uh, the metabolic conditions, his body would require huge amounts of energy. And then if he's you know trying to subsist on military rations, which for cost-effectiveness are the least amount of food they can feed you and still have you do your job, then it would, it would actually have been very taxing on his body, whereas it wouldn't have been a problem at all for the average person. Yep. And when he got into the military hospital, he was given quadruple rations. But still, A, ban- a banner was- day for Terare. Yeah, yeah. But still, he was super hungry, so he'd scavenged for whatever he could find in like gutters and containers. He'd eat food left over by other patients. Uh, apparently, he occasionally crept into the uh, apothecary's room to eat poultices and stuff like that. He uh, just ran- randomly eats stuff out of the uh, the pharmacy. That's always yeah. a good idea. So, yeah, people were pretty interested in him. And like the military was just like, hmm, maybe we could use this for a bit. Or maybe we could at least understand it. So, Terrell was essentially ordered to remain in the military hospital to take part in physiological experiments designed by a Dr. Corville, um, who was the surgeon to the Night Pussar Regiment, and also George Didier and Baron Percy, uh, who was the uh, surgeon-in-chief hospital. And yeah, so they decided to test Terrell's um, capacity for food. So they, made, so they prepared a meal for 15 laborers and put out of hospital gates. And unlike Nor, this time they didn't restrain Torah in the presence of all this food, and they let him eat undisturbed. And he ate the entire meal of about two large meat pies, some plates of grease and salt, and four gallons of milk uh, before falling asleep. Take that YouTube gallon of milk challenge from like eight years ago. That, that is a lot of food. Terrari could do the gallon of milk challenge, the cinnamon challenge, whatever you got. Yeah, pretty much, like, for 15 people. And, yeah, and um, this is 100-pound man. Yeah. And, like I said earlier, when he ate a lot, his body became very, like, inflated like a balloon, and it's happened once again. And, just a warning, uh, this has a bit of a animal cruelty, so skip ahead a couple of minutes if... Like yeah, you just might want to hit forward thirty no. a couple of times. Yeah, just because I know ahead. where this is going. Yeah, so um, that's the warning animal at least. So <laughs> there was another occasion where Tara was uh, essentially presented with a live cat yeah. uh, by the military, and he proceeded to eat the cat by uh, tearing its abdomen open with his teeth and drinking its blood before eating the entire cat, apart from the bones. And after, afterwards, he apparently vomited up the fur and skin, which is apparently quite common in carnivores. Basically just coughed it up like an owl pellet. Yeah. And after this, the hospital starts with, like, like, huh, maybe we shouldn't do this. We should do it more. <laughs> so well, that's, they, most, that's most science. Well, this didn't kill him. Let's yeah. give him some more. So they uh, offered him all kinds of other animals. Apparently, in one case, he swallowed an entire eel without chewing. Yes, and for those who don't understand why that's significant, please Google eel skeleton. It's basically yeah. like a giant comb made of razors. So there would have come a point where he, he, the flesh had been digested off of the skeleton and just left hundreds of pointy shards of bone behind. But for Terare, it's no big. Just another day in the life. And he spent, essentially spent several months uh, under experimental conditions that... After a while, military authorities started pressing him to be returned to active duty, as he was still a soldier. Um, but Dr. Corville was still, he still wanted to keep investigating uh, eating habits and stuff. So he went up to General Alexander the Bohannes. Bohannes. If, like if you give me the spelling, I might, should be able to pronounce it for you. B E A U. 
H-A-R-N-A-I-S. Oh, I'd say um, Beauharnais. 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 That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, essentially he went up to him and was like, this guy over here, he can eat essentially anything. We can figure out a way to put, to put this to military use. So um, they came up with a plan to make sure eat a wooden box, um, essentially wait for it to pass through a system, and they'd try and retrieve the box from his excrement with a document yeah. inside of it. Yeah, the idea was that that would be how he would smuggle messages because, you know, you would find it in someone's boot or hidden amongst their possessions, but not in their colon, we hope. Yeah, essentially. And yeah, well, on, in the tests, it worked fine. Like, the document was retrieved in legible condition two days after he ate it. So they decided to put it to an actual test and gave Tara the job of a military courier because essentially if he ate the box, he w- they, wouldn't, they wouldn't find it if, they, if it was searched. So they gave him a box with um, a, what they told him was an important military document. And after he ate the box, he was given a... As a reward, he was given a wheelbarrow filled with 30 pounds or 14 kilos of raw bull's lungs and liver which he apparently immediately ate in front of all generals. Yay. This wheelbarrow full of organs. And, and, and I don't know why I'm trying to apply normal people, you know, medical knowledge to this guy, but I'm like, you know, all those organs, you're going to get gout. Yeah. But gout is low on his list of problems. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm not sure if normal people uh, physiologically works with this guy. <laughs> but after this demonstration, uh, he was officially employed as a spy of the Army of the Rhine. But General de Bohane, he was pretty convinced of the ability to do it, but he was still unsure whether he could trust him with important military documents. So for his first assignment, he was given a message to carry to a colonel that was imprisoned by the Prussians, was told the documents were really important, and sent off. But the document was just a note saying that he should um, return another note, saying that a message had been received successfully. Yeah, he was effectively pinging the other guy. He was he was just pinging this colonel via Terrare's intestines. Yeah, yeah. However, after he went off, pretty soon after, he was captured outside of Lambeau because, like, even though he was just a normal dude going through, he was going through disguised as a German peasant, but he couldn't speak German. <laughs> yeah, tiny oversight in the planning there. And he was essentially kept in prison for 24 hours and refused to talk. After about 24 hours, he explained the scheme to his captors uh, and was chained to a latrine. And about 30 hours after it was swallowed, the box emerged. Now, there's, been, now, there's two things I've read about this. One was that General Zogli of the Prussians. He got the box and was furious to read that it was just uh, a little note and accused Tarara of mocking him. So Tarara was taken, taken to a gallows with a noose placed around his neck before before Zogli relented and let him down, let him go with a severe beating. But other sources essentially say that um, Zogli never actually got the box because Tarah, after excreting it, he apparently ate the stool containing the box before it could be seized. Eh. So. No. Yeah, no. not great. Not no. Great. No, no, coprophagia. Yeah. Which, which, for those who didn't know, is the, uh, the Latin term for poop eating. Coprophagia. This has been your word of the day. <laughs> yeah, essentially after, after he was released, uh, Terrell essentially went as far as he could to avoid any further military service because that could be pretty traumatic. Yeah, he, he didn't have a good time. It was not a fun furlough. Yeah, so he essentially returned to the hospitals telling, yeah, telling them that he'd attempt any possible cure for his appetite. Uh, Baron Percy was the surgeon-in-chief at the hospital. He treated him with laudanum without, with no success, and also with, white, with wine vinegar and tobacco pills, also unsuccessful. And he tried all kinds of things, like uh, eating large amounts of boiled eggs, etc., etc. But all of this failed. So, Sarah, similar to me like, as he was before, he'd sneak around and try and get food wherever he can. Like, he'd sneak out of the hospital to scavenge for offal outside of butcher's shops, and he'd uh, fight stray dogs for carrying gutters, alleys, and rubbish heaps, and stuff like that. And a few times, he was caught in the hospital, drinking uh, blood from patients undergoing bloodletting. 
and apparently attempting to eat bodies from the mortuary. Hey, look, he's just trying to cut down on the waste, okay? You know, he's trying to reduce the, the hospital's carbon footprint by making sure that nothing goes to waste. He's trying to use every part of the human animal. You don't want to just let the, all that excellent blood go down the gutter and, you know, bodies are, are a hassle to deal <laughs> with anyway. Just let him have them. Yeah, essentially. Also, let's remember, this is pre-refrigeration that he's eating these bodies. Yeah, yeah. These will not be fresh bodies most of the time. No. I mean, they might be. They were at war. So, who knows? Yeah, you got to time it just right, though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, uh, other doctors were, would press for Tara to be transferred to a lunatic asylum, but Baron Percy was pretty keen to keep experimenting on him, so he stayed in a military hospital. And it was like this for quite a while, but sometime later, a 14-month-old child went missing from the hospital. So obviously Tara was suspected, and Baron Percy was, he was either unable or unwilling to defend him, so, so Tara was chased from the hospital and never returned. He kind of went off the radar for the next four years. Yeah, garbage dump is one thing. Morgue, starting to push it. Missing baby, get the fuck out. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> um, and four years later, uh, 1798 comes around, and um, so, someone called M. Tessier from Versailles Hospital uh, contacted Percy about um, a patient of theirs. And and the patient theirs was trying wanted to see him. And this turned out to be Tara, uh, who at this point was uh, pretty bedridden and weak. Did he have the consumption? He had the consumption, <laughs> which is an I- ironic disease for him to get when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he told Baron Percy that um, he'd swallowed a golden fort two years earlier that he believed was lodged inside of him and caused his weakness. Um, Percy essentially took uh, one look at him and realized that he had advanced tuberculosis or the consumption in his late stages. And, Where did he um, get a golden fork? I don't question these things after a while reading about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, it's actually interestingly, coincidentally high in my thinking because listening to the um, uh, People Are Wild podcast this morning, which is hosted by a nurse, and she does a game at the end, guess you know where this person guess what they had stuck where in their body. They're not all <laughs> rectum, because uh, that was my first thought. And apparently there was a guy who had a piece of a Wendy's fast food plastic fork in his lung huh. for two, two years. Huh. How do you not notice what? <laughs> either when that happened? Okay, how did it happen? How did you not notice you had inhaled a piece of a plastic fork? And then how did it not even enter the periphery of your consciousness for the subsequent 700 days. There are so many questions right now. So who, Terari's eating out of the gutters and fighting dogs for intestines. How do you get near a gold fork? It's pretty hard to say, isn't it? (laughs) Um, I I know, I've accepted everything else about that, but this is where I draw the line. I guess we're back to performing for a bit. Perhaps he picked up a wealthy patron. There could, yep. could have been some rich man who wanted him to stand off to the side of the banquet hall eating houseplants or something. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, so about a month after, uh, Tara started having continuous chronic diarrhea and died shortly afterwards, which is not a nice way to go. No, but it is a surprisingly common yep. way to die. Uh, the, the number of people actually killed by the dehydration of diarrhea you you would be like, oh, I bet most people are killed by war. Mm, diarrhea. Yeah. So right. like world, worldwide throughout history, diarrhea is, I think it's malaria is first and then diarrhea is real close second. That sounds about right. Yeah. Whether through, through cholera or, um, you know, whatever else. Yeah. That does sound right. So after he died, one of the doctors essentially wanted to uh, dissect him and figure out why he, how he was different from the norm. And he was also curious to see whether he could find a cold fork. But the corpse rotted Just really slip, quickly. Slip that in your pocket. Yeah. But yeah, apparently the corpse rotted really quickly and uh, it was rancid. <laughs> and a lot of, essentially a lot of surgeons just refused to dissect it or work on it because it stunk. Yeah, they had a very short window of time back in, the, back in those days. Yeah, and apparently he rotted faster than normal. So 
Yeah, it, again, again, if he had an overclocked metabolism, he probably also had a higher than normal body temperature. Higher than normal temperature when he died would mean um, an even better environment for the microbes that break down our bodies. So they were just having a field day. Yeah, yeah. During the autopsy, essentially, his gullet was found to be abnormally wide. And apparently when his jaws were opened, the surgeons could see a broad canal down to his stomach. I think one thing I read was that they could put, they could fit a uh, twenty centimeter di- twenty centimeter diameter tube. I think twenty centimeter uh, down his gut. So that's about eight inches for those of us not in the home counties. <laughs> yeah, it might be bigger than that. I'm not sure, but it was a lot. And his body was essentially it was filled with pus. Um, his liver and gallbladder were super enlarged. Yeah, his they would stomach, have to be eating that digestion. Yeah, his stomach was massive and covered in ulcers. And essentially, it filled most of his abdominal cavity. The fork was never found there. <laughs> there goes there goes the fork theory. I mean, if he if he was able to pass a wooden box, he probably could have passed the fork, especially yeah. if it was like tines back. If it was like handle first, would have been no sweat. Yeah, and that's all that actually happened to Ra. But I do have a couple of um, other interesting edible people, I guess. <laughs> anyway, people renowned edibles, for eating, not edible people. That's different. That's, We're all that's edible. Part two. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, there was one guy that was written, but that was written by, by Drake, who, and he described the person as a man of twenty-seven who pers- who pursued the vocation of a sword swallower. He had swallowed a gold watch and chain with a seal and key attached, and at another time he swallowed thirty-four bullets and voided them by the anus. Um, Wait, say again. He swallowed thirty-four bullets and what? Avoided them by the anus. <laughs> okay, I think that would have been implied. I'm not sure why yeah. he included it, and I'm not sure why you included it. <laughs> I, I, I read it, and I was just like, I have to keep, I have to use those exact words. <laughs> like, it's in front of me, I have it's to read it. It's a very exactly. posh way of saying shit them out. <laughs> yeah, and apparently um, in August 1819, in one day and night, he swallowed 19 pocket knives and 41 copper cents. That's not healthy. No. <laughs> I, I, I generally say that eat that swallowing one pocket knife is probably not great for you. No, and I mean, pocket knives these days, you know, they have a little springy bit to them so that they stay closed. That's a modern invention, I would think. So I just ask him for trouble, that is. Yeah. Even leaving aside the issue of the heavy metal poisoning. Uh, apparently after his death, uh, his esophagus was found normal, but his stomach was enlarged enough. It reached almost to the... It says spine of the ilium, but um, there's a different word for it. That's essentially like part of the pelvis. Yeah, your ilium, uh, your ilia are, your pelvis is made of three bones. There's the sacrum in the center, which is the little wedge-shaped bone, uh, which is uh, five fused vertebrae at the bottom of your spine. And then on either side of that are the big elephant ear uh, ilia. So if this went to where his spine, so about to the back top of his pelvis, is from my from my understanding from your description. So his stomach is going from just under his sternum down and back to the top of his pelvis. Is basically just excluding all the other organs from the abdominal cavity. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the anterior superior spine or something like that. But um, no, the front not and top. exact term is. Well, anterior would be front and um, superior would be top. My first husband had four spinal surgeries. So oh, okay. you want to talk? You want to talk <laughs> lumbar spine? We can talk lumbar spine. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. But, um, apparently, the knives found in his stomach weighed over a pound. I'm not sure how much that is in kilos, but it's. Oh, I always get it back. Okay, one kilo is two point two pounds. So one pound is just under half a kilo. So yeah, apparently, in, in his exhibitions, he he'd allow spectators to hear the click of his knives and feel them after he swallowed them. Yeah, just like let, let them poke around. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I would do that, but I would charge them extra. It's going to be it's going to be like you know an extra nickel if you want to poke the knives. Yeah, yeah. I also read about um, apparently as a boy that was twelve years old that apparently in six days would eat three hundred eighty four pounds and two ounces of food, but would constantly very vomit. specific measure. Look at three hundred eighty four pounds and two ounces. It was in like a um, book of medical anomalies. He said he was he was twelve. So if if he was of average height and build, he was probably uh, like five six and um, let's say ninety 
to 100 pounds, depending. So about yeah. three times your body weight in a week. Um, and yeah, so it's there have been a few cases of like excessive eating and stuff. Um, excessive thirst is a thing as well. It's like, well, I read about it a few times. There's one guy that was 58 like, who wouldn't go for a night without drinking an entire pail of water. So that's probably about a few pints. Um, yeah, one could assume actually a couple of gallons or you know, several, yeah. several liters. Yeah, apparently um, his uh, daily ration of water was 8 to 12 gallons. Yeah, I would think that that might be diabetes insipidus, which is not the diabetes you think of when you think of diabetes, but um, you can think of the regular diabetes as sugar diabetes and diabetes insipidus as water diabetes, where essentially your, your kidneys aren't doing their job correctly. And so you just need constant water in and naturally, of course, have constant water coming out. So, yeah, there's, there, are, there have been a few interesting appetites out there. Well, you know, think- do you know about uh, Monsieur Manchetout? I know the name, but I don't know what, I can't remember exactly what that was. Uh, Monsieur Mangetout, a man named uh, Michel Lotito, ate an airplane. Yes, I do, I do know that one. Yeah, he, he shows up on like Ripley's Believe It or Not. And, yeah, he's and, eats yes. a metal and stuff. Yeah, yeah he's eaten bicycles and um, all kinds of shopping carts. And over the course of, I'll have to look up what span of time, ate an entire Cessna uh, dual prop airplane. Yes, yes, I remember from the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, Sorry. I would suspect that that's one of those cate- uh, categories that they've shut down. Guinness has actually um, removed or forbidden uh, any number of uh, record categories over the last decade just to try to stop people from doing really stupidly dangerous stuff in an attempt to get their name in the book. That makes sense. I do remember there being one that was chainsaw juggling, so... <laughs> They use special chainsaws for that. That that one's not actually as dangerous. Um, Being a burlesque dancer, I also know a lot of uh, sideshow performers. So I've been thinking about all the people I know who are um, sword swallowers or who stick their fingers and tongues in mousetraps, people who can uh, swallow razor blades uh, and all that kind of stuff. So this was in my wheelhouse for sure. Yeah. All right. But yeah, I think that's... It's in their wheelhouse. I I let them do it and I cheer. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not doing any of that. Unless you deep fry it or dip it in chocolate, I'm not eating it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cool. So I think that's all I actually have for my section. So I think we'll cut to music and come out of yours before I die of this illness. (laughs) Yeah, well, don't die in the next half hour. We'll be fine. It's fine. I just, I I will probably be as talkative, but um, cool. So we'll cut to music and be right back. And we are back. So, Moxie, do you want to save me from my illness and take it away? Yep, I'll take over from here. Uh, my working name is Moxie Labouche, which means Moxie the Mouth. You'll be lucky if you can get a word in edgewise. So you just sit back, relax, and enjoy as I tell you the story of a clan of inbred cannibalistic highwaymen in the Scottish countryside. Fun for the entire family. The clan takes its name from one of the progenitors, Sonny Bean. Sonny is a a nickname that is somehow a short form of Alexander. I I read the explanation and it still makes no sense. Wait, what? Somehow Sonny is a short form of Alexander or Alistair. Sure. Sure, why not? When you get into the Gaelic, all bets are off. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, hop on YouTube, <laughs> hop on YouTube, and and uh, look for a uh, a clip from Lee Mack about Irish names, and you just ha- have a good five minutes laugh right there. Um, you know how how Siobhan should be pronounced Siobhan. Oh yeah, but yeah, that that aside, that aside. So uh, Alexander Sonny Bean was born in the latter part of the 14th century in East Lothian, Scotland. What's cool uh, tying this down to me, I live right near an area called Midlothian. And none of us here in America know why, where the word Midlothian came from. It wasn't until I saw it in a really old, um, a reference to like a 14th century place in, in the British Isles. I'm like, oh, 
So it's the middle part of Lothian. Well, there you go. Mm. Okay. Um, Bean was born into a poor family of laborers in an agricultural community and was subject to severe beatings by his father, generally owing to uh, an innate apathy for hard work. Uh, and he wasn't particularly keen on following the rules either. So it didn't take long for him to abandon his trade as a tanner, and he took up with a woman called Black Agnes. Agnes Douglas was thought by many in the area to be a witch, and some speculate that she may actually have been a murderess before even meeting Sawney Bean. When locals began to accuse her of conducting human sacrifices and conjuring demons, the pair moved to Ayrshire, Scotland. Specifically, they set up housekeeping in a seaside cave. Benane Cave was difficult to find if you didn't already know where it was, because its entrance would be completely submerged when the tide came in. Uh, this made it very defensible and definitely a good place to hide. And the cave extended more than a mile into the cliffs, with pe- uh, lots of side passages and little alcoves and nooks in which for them to hide, to stow their ill-gotten booty, and to eventually raise a family. Disinclined to work for money and lacking any land on which to produce food for himself and his wife, Sonny and Agnes turned to banditry. They preyed on travelers, seeking out easy targets like people traveling alone, and to help ensure that they wouldn't be caught later, they left no survivors. History doesn't record which one of them had the epiphany to solve their witnesses will get us hanged and we don't have any food problems with one fell swoop, but somewhere along the line, they decided to start eating their victims. Now, an adult human body provides about 30,000 calories from the meat, which is just the muscle. You can get a further 50,000 calories from fat. So a human victim is a pretty good source of food. There's also great nourishment to be had from uh, bone marrow, brains, and other internal organs, which are definitely in play in Scotland, which is, after all, the land of the haggis. With the victims providing more meat than the pair could eat at once, and with the availability of future meat being unpredictable, they also pickled, smoked, dried, and otherwise preserved it, just as you would venison or beef. But there would soon be more than enough mouths to feed on this macabre diet of theirs. Sonny Bean and Black Agnes would eventually have eight sons and six daughters, all of which were raised to be part of this cannibal highwayman lifestyle. And as their children grew uh, and were incorporated into the killings, they would go off and hunt in their own little groups, so that way the clan could cover more ground and increase their take. Eventually, Bean wanted to expand the family and encouraged his children to have children with each other. It's sort of Hannibal Lecter meets flowers in the attic. But according to a a Bean family ledger that was allegedly found many years later, Bean and Agnes would have 18 grandsons and 14 granddaughters, now bringing the Bean clan to a total of 48 inbred cannibalistic highwaymen. And as the family grew, naturally so did their appetite. The men would go out on raiding parties, taking on as many as half a dozen victims at once in ambush attacks. The bodies would be brought back to the cave to be prepared for the larder by the women folk. I can't uh, harp on them too much about the strict adherence to traditional gender roles, not in really in the face of everything else they're doing. Well, I do want to interject an aside about the physical effects of inbreeding and of cannibalism. Close breeding, which is the mating of a brother and sister, or line breeding, which is the mating of a parent and child, are very common in the animal world, both wild and uh, domestic animals. But genetic diversity is a key factor in most healthy life forms. Inbreeding results in homozygosity, a state of possessing two identical forms of the same gene, which increases the chances of offspring being affected by deleterious recessive traits. 
And this usually leads to what's called inbreeding depression, a decreased biological fitness of the population to survive and reproduce. We can see this in humans in European history with the Habsburg dynasty, particularly in King Charles II of Spain, who had a jaw that was so overgrown and deformed that he couldn't eat and constantly drooled. He had a mind so feeble it was deemed not worth educating. He had barely enough motor control to walk on his own, malformed organs, and thankfully was sterile. But breeding communities don't have to be restricted to one founding couple for diseases to proliferate. The Amish communities of North America have a much higher than average incidence of a certain form of dwarfism, Ellis van Creveld syndrome, because one of the founding members carried the allele or the genetic marker for it. Likewise, the Afrikaners of South Africa are more likely to develop Huntington's disease than the general population because they descended from a small group of insular Dutch settlers. Now, the consumption of human flesh is not in and of itself dangerous, but it's the consumption of the brain that can get you into trouble. Now, you see a, a slight reference to this if you've seen the film The Book of Eli. I have a, I have a cat named after him because he had a kind of a messed up eye, no spoilers. Uh, The protagonists notice tremors in the kindly old couple who are helping them, this couple that has somehow survived in the middle of nowhere with numerous graves dug out back of the house. This was probably a depiction of Kuru. It's a rare fatal neurological disease first observed in the foray people of Papua New Guinea. They practice a funereal endocannibalism, They eat the corpses of their dead as part of their mourning rituals. The name Kuru means, in their language, to tremble or to shiver. Symptoms include loss of coordination, involuntary movement, behavioral and mood changes, dementia, and difficulty eating. Uh, There is no cure known for it, and it's usually fatal within one year of contraction, either from the damage to the central nervous system or from malnutrition because the person is unable to eat properly. Though interestingly, uh, scientists studying the foray people have found that an increasing number of them carry a genetic marker that makes them resistant to Kuru. So there is the possibility that even if they had not been told what was happening by, you know, doctors, white doctors from the West and encouraged to stop eating their dead, that they may well have been able to evolve beyond the Kuru. Yeah. Uh, eating brains might also lead you to be afflicted with variant Crutchfeld-Jakob disease, which is also transmissible spongiform encephalopathy, essentially mad cow disease in humans, which is also incurable. So on the whole, don't eat people if you can avoid it. It's a good, it's good advice. Yeah, and if you have to, if it's like, you know, soccer team in the Andes, try to avoid the brains if you can. Yeah, it's a prion disease, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly. It is a prion disease. Yeah. Uh, now, back to the Bean family and their fun-loving, outdoorsy, robbing, killing, eating, inbreeding lifestyle, which they managed to carry on like that for over 25 years, which is an almost unthinkable length of time for what was essentially a killing spree. Mm. But even with their highly defensible home base, it couldn't last forever. Local authorities amassed a staggering number of missing persons, with some accounts putting it into the thousands. Bones and body parts would wash up on local beaches with clear signs of cut marks where the flesh had been stripped from the bone. Rumors and theories swirled. Local people accused one another. One common story was that local innkeepers had been robbing and killing the missing people And those stories were so pervasive that some innkeepers had to close up shop and get out of the business for fear of being lynched. Any number of mystical beasts were also blamed, such as redcaps, which are murderous goblin-like creatures, or kelpies, shapeshifters who live in lakes and rivers. Even though the Sawney Bean clan had made it into a third murderous generation, it all came crashing down around them one evening in 1430, when they attacked a man and his wife who were returning home from a nearby fair. Some of the beans pulled the woman from her horse, stripped and disemboweled her before the others had even wrestled the other man off of his horse. Wow. Realizing, yeah, 
They work fast. Hey, teamwork, that's efficiency. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> Realizing the fate that was about to befall him, the man fought desperately to escape. As he struggled with the cannibal highwaymen, a group of 20 or so people also returning from the fair happened upon the scene. After a brief and violent exchange, the Sawney Bean clan found itself, for the first time ever, outnumbered and retreated to their cave, leaving behind the mutilated body of the woman, dozens of witnesses, and one very angry husband. The husband went before the chief magistrate of Glasgow, who put this story together with the long list of missing persons and reports of found body parts. The magistrate took the matter straight to King James I, who assembled 400 soldiers, a band of local volunteers, and a retinue of tracking dogs, and descended on the area. The men couldn't find the cave, but there was no hiding the combined scent of dozens of filthy humans, pickling barrels, and rotting flesh from the noses of the dogs. Carrying torches and drawn swords, the troops entered Benane Cave and proceeded down the mile-long, twisting passage into the inner depths of the Sawney Bean family lair. Nothing could have prepared them for the sight that greeted them. Row upon row of human limbs and body parts hung from the ceilings and walls like cuts of meat in a butcher's shop. Pickling barrels lined the walls. Other areas of the cave were strewn with bundles of victims' clothing, piles of watches and rings, and everywhere were discarded bones from previous feasts. After a brief fight, the entire Sawney Bean family, all 48 of them, were arrested and marched off to Edinburgh by the king himself. Their crimes were considered so heinous that the normal justice system was abandoned, and the entire family was sentenced to death. The following day, the 27 men met a fate similar to that of many of their victims. Their legs and arms were cut off, and they were left to slowly bleed to death as the women of the family watched. Some accounts even hold that their genitals were cut off and thrown into a fire. The 21 women were then burned like witches in a huge, huge bonfire. It's said that during the entire execution, which would have to have taken several hours to complete, not one member of the Bean family showed a single sign of fear or remorse. In fact, they were constantly hurling obscenities at their captors. Up until his final breath, Alexander Sawney Bean repeated the phrase, It isn't over. It will never be over. And though the entire clan died that day in 1430, or so the legend goes, they've lived on in popular culture. If you picture this story taking place in a dry desert rather than a misty cliffside, you have George Romero's The Hills Have Eyes. Sawney Bean's influence could also be seen in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, with a little sprinkling of killer Ed Gein for good measure. And arguably, it may also have been an influence on what I think is the best episode of the original X-Files, Home, about a murderous inbred family, though they didn't really seem to hint much at cannibalism in that one. But still, if you're going to watch one episode of the X-Files, make it home. That was great. Um, yeah, sorry, I was really quiet for it. I was just uh, trying to sniffle. <laughs> We're just letting you rest and get your strength back. Yeah, that was great. Uh, I didn't know about that, actually. I read the basics of the Sawney Bean stuff before, but it was a while ago. And well, like, ar- then I, didn't, I don't think I knew before at all. Arguably, it's probably more myth than it is factual tale, since the first... Um, written record that we can still find was in what is called a, a Newgate, the Newgate calendar in 1843. Uh, Newgate calendars and uh, the Newgate novels were these um, salacious records of people who were being hanged and their crimes um, that also gave us penny dreadfuls, mm. which were very popular in the working classes. And, you know, when you think about how many true crime podcasts and stories of the macabre out there now we have not lost our taste for it in the slightest no no (laughs) so i think on that we'll cut the music and then come back with an outro so yeah see you in a sec guys And we are back. So, Moxie, you want to 
Do you have any last comments or anything? Well, I want to thank you for um, letting me onto your show, for inflicting me on your audience and surprising me with um, one of my, my favorite topics that never comes up, our hungry little friend, Terare. Yes. Yeah, hopefully uh, that came out okay because I was dying for the majority of it, but we'll, it'll probably be okay what, in edit after editing. Yeah, that's what editing software is for. Right. We'll uh, fix it in post. Yeah, fix it in post. Yeah, which uh, we have a rule around here. Those words are only allowed to come out of your mouth if you're the person who is fixing it in post. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nobody else is allowed to say it. Essentially, yeah. It's like I do a lot of uh, post editing. <laughs> yeah. um, it should be okay. Yeah, well, I had the distinct honor of producing the only author-approved Game of Thrones burlesque show. And we actually got to go to Mr. Martin's Theater in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and play for him. Um, And with that such an auspicious circumstance, we made a documentary. And I naturally was the one who had to edit that, uh, teach myself video editing while editing this documentary. (laughs) And uh, that is why... The phrase, we'll fix it in post, is very, very carefully regulated in my presence. Understandable. Um, I put 150 hours into that and it never got good. Oh no. <laughs> never, and I never. Well, my computer can't hold the entire file. I had to work oh. on it in sections. So then when oh. you do actually put it together, you have this, these wild disparities in volume between the different scenes. Damn it! That I'm is, just um, I'm just trying to make a documentary about strippers going to meet George R. R. Martin. Is that asking so much? Yeah, that's not great if you can't hold the entire file. That hurts. Well, yeah. luckily, it does much better with the audio editing, uh, which I use to make my podcast, Your Brain on Facts, available on all popular podcast platforms, probably on the very app that you're listening to this fine program on. You can also find it at yourbrainonfacts.com. Look me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash yourbrainonfacts, or on Twitter, at Moxie Labouche. Don't worry about the spelling. By the time you get to the L, Twitter should find it for you. Excellent. So... Uh, that was actually my next question. Right, so you've got your plugs sorted. So I'll just throw in a few plugs. It'll be less elegant than yours, but I'll never be there anyway. So. <laughs> well, my mother had been in radio. So all of us instinctively, both nature and nurture, uh, myself and my five sisters, we can immediately drop into our radio voice. Oh, yeah. It's like, I'm normally a bit more um, on the ball, but uh, not today. <laughs> But yeah, anyway. Damn fragile mortal bodies. I know. Really Where is that singularity thing. they were promising us? Promising us Exactly. I need to upload my consciousness into something. Oh. Of course, then if you think about the way your cell phone behaves after you update it, I don't know if uploading your consciousness into the cloud is really going to solve anything. It depends which update you're on, really. <laughs> i got to reboot my phone like three times a week just to keep it functioning. I'm not trusting it with my with my consciousness yeah so um if you're not already a fan of tom scott's youtube channel first off you've wasted a large portion of your life but there's still time to fix it uh he does he's got an amazing video on there which is like the um kind of the user manual to someone who's just been uploaded to the cloud and it's based on the level of service they can afford to pay Oh, yeah, you should, you should check out uh, Exerbia on YouTube as well. He's super good for stuff like that. He's got some really go. funny videos. But yes, anyway, my plugs will be the Meta.ly network. Go to Meta.ly. You can find a bunch of really cool true crime podcasts over there. You can find me on social media at facebook.com slash blood and rocks or Twitter and Instagram at the bloody rocks. We also have email, which you can message me about anything on at botrpodcast at gmail.com. We have a patron if you want to support the show at patreon.com slash blood the rocks. I think that's pretty much everything I have. Yes, send him money. He needs tissues and cough syrup. Pretty much. For the price of a cup of coffee, you too can keep a podcast host from dying. Yeah. And on that, I think uh, we can call it. So thank you for listening. Rate, view, subscribe. Don't forget to tell your friends. And have a great week. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? 
That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.